What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bridger Bridge podcast. I'm your host, Big Mike. And I'm your co-host, Dom Bay. On today's episode, we're hosting a San Francisco local artist named Jeremy Fish. Dude, amazing guest, icon in the San Francisco area, North Beach legend. And you might want to listen to the lightning round. We may have a new champion. This guy has his own day in San Francisco, Jeremy Fish Day. It's an episode you don't want to miss. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Yep, listen in or go fish, my friends. Jeremy. Hello, dudes. What's going on, man? Uh, You know, (laughs) not a whole lot. What's going on with you guys? (laughs) I'm good, man. It's it's good to meet you in person. You and I actually met at uh, the MF Doom event. You were there, right? Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but I had asked you where you got all your Muni gear from. Yeah. Different places. Yeah. Not the same answer twice. That's not the kind of stuff you get all in one lump gift, you know? Right. Right. So I've met you before. My brother, Dominic here, who's the co-host, you guys haven't met. Nice to meet you, Dominic. We haven't met, but with that mustache and me being a firefighter, I mean, I feel like we must have met in a past life. You know what I mean? Because that's a healthy stash right there for sure. They let me stand next to you guys when there's firefighters around and nobody can pick me out of the crowd. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a strong one there. Hey, great having you on. We're super excited, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. So so you live in North Beach right now? Yeah. Where, whereabouts in North Beach do you live? I mean, we we grew up in North Beach. My old man's from Sicily. You know, I was a member of the Salesians Boys and Girls Club. You know, our families owned some restaurants in Fisherman's Wharf and North Beach. So th- that was like one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me uh, on how and why we wanted to have you on the show. I live on Union between Stockton and Grant, and I've had this apartment for almost 20 years. But I moved to San Francisco in 94 to go to the Art Institute down on Chestnut. Uh, so this neighborhood was kind of my whole introduction to the city. As a student living on student loans, I moved here from New York. So I was like 3,000 miles from where I grew up. And the city in general was pretty intimidating at first. And this neighborhood wasn't, you know, like uh, it was not super affordable for a student. But, you know, Golden Boy and Mario's and a lot of my favorite things, Trieste, obviously, from when I was a student are still here, fortunately. And it, this neighborhood, I mean, you guys would know more than I do, like, yeah, it's kind of a timeless thing going on where you don't really know if it's 1950, 1980, or 2010, you know, like it, and I think that's probably why I've stayed so long. Uh, I, I often think if I lived somewhere else in San Francisco, I probably would have moved a long time ago, you know? Yeah, it definitely has that. There's different pockets. There's folks that have been there forever. There's people that just got to San Francisco, and uh, there's a lot of old school like places there, a lot of people, you know, had places, started new places, but there's a lot of uh, history there. So it's a really cool area. So you you lived there, you moved there in 01 around? No, I moved here in 94. I got my apartment in the early 2000s and I've had it. I mean, I can't even believe I still live. I mean, you know, I also picked the most expensive 25 years in the history of the city since the gold rush. And no, and I certainly didn't see that coming when I moved out here to try to draw pictures for a living, but it, it is funny. And I I think about it all the time. Like I just picked such a strange time in human history to move out here. You know, like it went from being, when I moved here in the nineties, it was much more affordable than going to art school in New York or Boston. 
which is part of the reason I, you know, I was really, it was really approachable at that time. And to think it went from that to being the most expensive city in the country, you know, like it, uh, it had a real fucking massive surge of funds for the last, you know, for as long as I've been here. For sure. I know I read somewhere that earlier in, in your career, you ran like a barter system and, and you would trade, you know, some of your artwork for different things, which, which seems to fit the North beach style so much, right? You walk around, there's people always trading stuff. Like you said, that timeless feel is that, you know, kind of, if you could expand on that, like how it was early in your career and, and some of those, those I trades. still do that, to be honest. Uh, I don't do it around the rest of the city as much, but I still do it in this neighborhood just because I'm neighborly, you know, uh, but I, it started with, you know, that bar Grant and green. Yeah, we know that bar. I got invited to be in a group show at 111 Mina early 2000s that was about where you live. And they had each person paint something different based on your neighborhood. And I painted something that's like this. It looks like a giant boat under the building, you know, and there's all those like the old ship saloon and all that shit where there's a lot of structures on this side of the city that are built up on top of old boats that were dragged up on the shore and used architecturally. And so the painting is kind of about that. I kind of, I put a big price tag on it because I didn't want anybody to buy it. And my thought was like, you know, I had just moved over here and I was like, oh, I'll put it up on the side of a building for people to enjoy or whatever. So I went to Grand Green. I asked the guy, I was like, hey, can I stick this thing on the side of your building? And John, the owner, who's way cool, was like, he's like, well, what do you, what do you want? And I was like, I don't want anything. I just want to stick it on your building. And he was like, nah, he's like, I don't trust it. He's like, no, you're going to come back at some point and be like, what do you want? And I'm like, no, I don't care. He's like, no, you know, you got to, you got to tell me what you, I was like, all right, how about this? I was like, how about I never pay to drink in your bar? And I was like, and I don't drink a lot at that age. I barely drank at all. And he was like, all right, cool. So he, he, <laughs> he like, we took a copy of my driver's license and crossed out all the important shit and blew it up. And he had it hanging behind the bar for years where it said, this person does not pay to drink here. And I, like I said, at that age, really, I almost never went there. But my dad, uh, who's no longer with us, it was his favorite thing to do when he came to town is he would just sit in that corner pocket at Grant and Green with the windows open and anybody that gave him 20 seconds of their time, he'd be like, my son doesn't pay to drink here, glug, glug. You know, like <laughs> it was uh, it was something he was really proud of. And that's kind of how it started. I, don't, I think Tony's or Golden Boy was next. And like then it got to a point in later years where it kind of got out that I do stuff for trade. So I'll trade with a lot of people in North Beach for things like that. And uh, part of it's that you can't, it's cool to get free food and I don't, I'm not dumb. It's I save a lot of money, but there's also a relationship you gain with your neighbors doing something like that, that, you know, I just move in, you hire me to do your logo or whatever. It's, you know, we're friendly, but if you agree to feed me in exchange for my time, then now we're friends. And that's something that I think in the city these days might be a little harder to establish. And I also think, you know, it is something more unique to this side of the city. And I, uh, it's something I really love about this area is that relationship I have with my neighbors. Do you, do you still have that lifetime pass at the bar? Yeah, I think so. That's I don't awesome. go there very often, but I'm sure if John was there, he would honor it. They've since remodeled it. The, the photocopies no longer, I mean, fuck man, this is more than 15 years ago. Yeah. The photocopies no longer behind the bar, but he's a stand up dude. The painting's still on the side of the building. I'm sure if I nudged him, he would honor it. <laughs> I, I mean, I have, Free drinks at a lot of bars in the neighborhood for life. Free pizza for life, and most of the good pizza spots in the neighborhood. Like I, uh, I treat my neighbors really well, and continue to do free artwork and contribute to their businesses as well as do a lot of stuff 
fundraisers and events in this neighborhood where I try to bring people over here. Uh, that's more in the last couple of years, obviously, just because things have been so fucked up in this area and, and all over the world. I don't mean to say North Beach is uniquely right. fucked up, but for an area that's such a high concentration of bars and, and restaurants, uh, you know, with no tourism or little to no tourism in the city, it, you really do feel it over on this side of the city. I mean, that, that walk from Fisherman's Wharf through North Beach to Chinatown is like, it's on that list of stuff people do when they come to the United States, like the Grand Canyon and Disneyland. And unfortunately right now, like, you know, there's very few people coming on vacation to take that walk from the wharf to Chinatown right now. It's just, just not in the, in the greatest moment in its history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ate so much at golden boy. I used to, you know, on the refrigerator, they had pictures of all the people that ate there. There's a picture of me on there from when I was seven, seven years old. I mean, I'm 32 (laughs) now, but you know, my, my dad's best friend owned Michelangelo Cafe, and I worked there. I worked at Piazza Pellegrini. I worked at uh, Pasa Pomodoro when it was uh, right there on uh, Union Street. Yeah. Um, I worked at Palermo Deli, number one. I know there's a number two. That's the one next now. to Tony's with Mario and uh, Frankie. And, yeah, I went in there a lot. Yeah. Though, like I just mean, right when I first moved over to the neighborhood, I ate there quite a bit. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's just North Beach is uh, so important to me and my brother, uh and you know it's it's pretty cool your story so when you were living in new york and and you know kind of growing up when like how did you know that you were into art and and that was something that you wanted to do professionally i wasn't good at anything else (laughs) i like you know like when you're in school i got good grades in art and good grades in english like creative writing and stuff like that but i wasn't really good at anything else um maybe gym class, depending on the sport. But like, yeah, it was a short list of shit. I didn't have a lot of choice. And I did good in art from the time I was a little kid. My mother's father uh, was Italian and his father came over from Italy, from Sorrento, to be a tailor in New York City uh, for Teddy Roosevelt. And he made the, uh, the suit that he was married in and the suit that he was buried in. And my grandfather was a carpenter. So like the Italian side of my family, they all made their living with their hands. And, and I, I remember being wicked and my dad and his dad uh, made their living. You know, they, my dad worked in, in the steel industry and my grandfather was a sales dude. So they made their money with their mouth. And my mom's side of the family made their money with their hands. And I always just figured I would like, you know, I could, I just, from the time I was a little kid, I just wanted, they like, they had workshops in their house and shit, you know, like the idea that you get to just stay home and like, make a living making something it always been really like from the time i was wicked young it's just kind of what i wanted to do i mean were you always from a young age just constantly creating making making a lot of different artwork and just kind of or or when did that kind of turn on where you're like all right i'm gonna this is you know i'm doing this this is what i enjoy i was always into it and i was always pretty good at it but i don't think it was till high school that i started to take it way more serious i i grew up skateboarding and i started really young the oldest skate park in New York state is like a few blocks from my house uh, growing up. And I don't know, I think, you know, skateboarding is really visually art driven, like the graphics on the boards and the t-shirts and all that. So I got really into that as a teenager. Like I worked in a skate shop and they get gnarly winters back there. So I would just sit there and try to redraw stuff I liked. And that's when I got more into it and realized that's probably something I, and then, you know, when they're like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, Oh, I want to draw graphics on skateboards and they're just like that's a stupid thing to do don't do that uh i mean in new york in the 80s and 90s that's not a 
that didn't exist. It's like a, you know, and that's part of the reason I came out here is I knew that was something here that was like, you know, it was, it was an actual job. People were doing it. Yeah. And, and did you know, like, was there like a piece that you did where you were like, fuck, I can get paid for this. Like, you know, I mean, I, we talked to a lot of athletes and, and, um, business owners and they kind of have they talk about having that aha moment was there like a piece that you made and you were like whoa like i'm really doing this and i can get paid for it um i don't know man i i'm not like uh i wasn't so good at this that it was obvious to anybody else i was ever going to make a living doing it you know like like i said it was the best it was one of the things i was good at comparatively but i wasn't so good at it that anybody else in my family or my circle of friends thought this guy's going to do this for a living. I, if you look at my work when I first moved here compared to like when people started like noticing it, I was terrible and I worked really, 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 really hard to get better at it. So by the time I had like an aha moment, I was probably five years into it. And like, I had been out of college for a while and like worked full time at a, at a job in commercial printing, like in the skateboard industry. And so I kind of like, I got better at it while I worked there. I like, you know, it was almost like grad school. I looked closely at the art that we were producing for other people. And I just kind of trained myself to get better at it and make it look more like that. But it, if I had an aha moment, it was probably late nineties, early two thousands when I started getting like t-shirt jobs where like I saw someone wearing my shirt or like skateboard jobs where I saw kids like skating boards with my graphics. Like, I think that's when it kicked in. I might actually pull it off. You know, I had had art related jobs for a very long time but never thought like I wouldn't have like a full-time job and I would just make art all day, you know? As an artist, have you found it tough, you know, putting a monetary price on your art? Obviously you mentioned, you know, trading for, you know, the connection with the community. And obviously, you know, a lot of artists are very humble and uh, they create, you know, out of love for their creation. And so it's hard to go, I think this is worth this, or I should get this for it. Have you found that to be something for you that, you know, has been a challenge in being in the art world is, is connecting, you know, creation you love with a monetary, you know, kind of a, what the price is and all that. You know, Dom, I think if I had started this career anywhere else at any other time, I might've, but because I got out of school right during the first dot com boom, it was either sell it for a decent buck or move away because, you know, there, it was pretty easy to see real early on. If I wanted to stay here, I had to make money at this. There was no like, you know what I mean? Like San Francisco just wasn't cheap by the time I got out of college. Yeah. And and you could see it on the wall, you know, and it was a two way street. A lot of these crazy young tech dudes, especially the first wave, spent their money real irresponsible and like bought a bunch of art. And so I was able to sell paintings. As far as what price tag to put on there, I was pretty humble compared to a lot of my friends, but it also helped me sell it, you know, like, but I do think it may have to the directly to the point of your question, it might've been a lot harder to figure out how much to charge if it wasn't for the fact that everywhere I looked, the city I loved and I just gotten a college degree and a job. So technically I was like a taxpayer now, was I could just watch it right around me as I hit my early twenties, just getting crazy expensive. Yeah. Even then, like before a lot of my friends were settling down and getting married and having kids, a lot of my friends were already fleeing to the suburbs and the East Bay and areas that were much less expensive. And that, and no offense to those areas, that's just never where I imagined myself living. 
So for me, it was like, we're either going to sell it for a comparatively, you know, decent amount of money, or I'm going to have to go live somewhere else. Um, yeah. So the city itself sort of shaped both how much I was charging for it. And especially early on, who was, who was buying it, who could afford it. And it was tech guys and weed guys, you know, especially early on, because they're the dudes that made money. That was like, they spent it irresponsibly. You know what I mean? Very, very similar to another industry that's kind of emerging right now, you know, with the art world, which we won't, we'll dive in later, but the NFT space and crypto, you know, people are buying that stuff like crazy because they have this disposable crypto money. And if you, if you have 2000 Ethereum that you bought for near to nothing, two Ethereum for a artwork is nothing, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've heard you talk a lot about San Francisco. Obviously the city has gone through a lot of changes um, in the last 30 years. I grew up skateboarding as well. I skated down at Pier 7 a lot, uh, hung out a lot at FTC. Um, and I know uh, that, that area very well. And we, we, it sounds like we have a pretty similar upbringing aside from the artwork because I suck at art. But, you know, what are your thoughts on how the city has changed and, and you know, what do you think uh, is going to happen in the future? I feel like a lot of people are kind of, you, you hear a lot of back and forth about what people think about San Francisco. I'm curious to hear kind of what you think. Well, I think that in order to stay here right now, for me, I have to remain as positive as possible about it. I think it's, it's you know, look, uh, what was it, 2010 or 2011, U.S. news or, you know, one of these big fucking newspapers was like, San, North Beach specifically is in like the top 10 neighborhoods in the United States. Like the city was so desirable. It was like this pinnacle of magic in the United States. And now, you know, these articles and these Fox News outlets are writing these really dramatic pieces about our city and, and being super negative. So I know it's going through another transition. Something about being only seven miles across, like something this dramatic, you really feel it. Like, bro, one in every four people moved away. Like, what the fuck? It's like a mass exodus. Right. And that's crazy. hard because a lot of those people, you know, I'm 47. Most of my friends are bouncing, you know, and like if they hadn't already in the last few years, the last two years really did it to them. And for a number of reasons, you know what I mean? And it, I just, at this stage of my life, I'm going to remain as positive as possible and do whatever I can to help support a city that absolutely supported me. I wouldn't have this job if I hadn't moved here, I don't think. And like, I just think you've got to remain positive. It's, it sounds almost cliche, like I'm answering the question in a Disney movie, but it is way too easy right now to sit around at a bar and bitch about the fucking hundred things that aren't as cool as they were even five years ago. It's just, that isn't going to help shit. And I will say that as we lost one in four people, 25% of the citizens of San Francisco went elsewhere for a number of reasons, work at home, couldn't afford it, lost your job, had a family, you know, it's a big ass list. But I will say that before the pandemic, how many times were you guys both out at something, just listening to people shit all over the city? You're like, it sucks. They ruined it. It's this guy's fault. It's there. You know what I mean? Like, it used to be so much better. Man, I used to go there back when it was still like, man, shut the fuck up. It isn't fixing anything. And it's not that it's not true. And it's not that those issues don't need to be resolved and we don't need to, but man, it got to be pretty hard every time you left the house to go out to enjoy yourself with your friends, 
either your friends or the people behind you are yammering on about how fucked up things are. So I will say, as we lost 25%, I like to hope that the people that stayed really love it here and really want to be here and really want to work towards making it the city it's always been, you know? It's in a fucking weird spot because we became the most expensive city in the country almost overnight. You know how long it took Manhattan to be the most expensive city? I don't know. But a, lot like, of, a, lot of, a lot of dark years in Manhattan before, like before Manhattan the light in the came. the 70s, you see all those movies like Warriors and shit? Yeah. <laughs> like, and look at it now. Times Square is like Disneyland. So we're in a slump for sure. And I don't say that to be a downer or to be bitching about it because I'm not. You have to live here during the golden years to recognize the crappy years. And I know both the potential and where we're at. And I, I, I hate to sound like a broken record or cliche, but we've all got to kind of work together to be more positive because if everyone's attitude is just hyper-focused on the negative, it's going to make it a hell of a lot more miserable to be here until it improves. Yeah, there's. I had a moment, you know, I'm sure, you you know, growing up in San Francisco, the they tell you that the ocean in San Francisco will kill you immediately if you go inside, you step foot inside. So we grew at up- Ocean with, Beach, he means, at Ocean yeah, Beach. At, at Ocean Beach, because of the currents, the sharks and all that stuff. Maybe they just told us that, you know? So we lived close to the beach and I never surfed. Moved to SoCal, started surfing. Finally surfed in San Francisco for the first time. I joke around that I'll lose all credibility, right? Because, you know, surfing in San Francisco, they're like, all right, he's out. He's, he's out. Um, but I was out there and I look back and, and the city's just amazing from Ocean Beach. When you're in the ocean, you got, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge. You can see the the, the peak of the of Coit Tower and all the whole city. And you're just like, wow, this is a beautiful city. Amazing. So 100%, you got to look at the positive and it's still San Francisco. There's still, you know, so many of the great things that made it, you know, the top spot. So that positivity i think that's 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 right on that's right on target for sure we need more of that and and you know i think it's also there's a lot of hate towards tech and how dramatically it affected the city and especially from a lot of my friends that are born and raised here because it's not something you've got to vote on or you know it just happened but i as someone who's not born and raised here it was it's a crazy thing for me to have lived here next to it and just watch it change the fucking whole world the change yeah. of skyline. I'm stoked on it or whether I'm not stoked on it, I'm proud of the fact that it was born here. Yeah. You know, like Atari is from here. Apple is from here. It's like the amount of clever, like forward thinking human beings that changed the face of the planet while enjoying the same air that we do and the views and like the fog and the whole kit. Like it's a very, very, very crazy progressive place. And again, you might not be stoked on tech. I'm not. I'm almost 50 but you gotta be proud of the fact that it was born in your backyard by brilliant motherfuckers that were, you know, enjoying the same fog we were at five o'clock. Like that's heavy. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, you were doing some work in skateboarding uh, and that you worked with some companies out here. Can you expand a little bit um, on some of the brands that you work with in San Francisco? I was looking at your Instagram. I, I saw you did some work with you know, real New Balance, you know, a couple of other brands, but, you know, someone who loves skateboard, I de was definitely interested to ask you some questions on that. When I got out of college, my degree was in screen printing because I knew it was something I could get a job. You know, my dad was like, you're going to go to fucking art school, whatever the fuck you do, do something that actually has like a real job after it. And I like, I started screen printing in high school and it was, I'd literally been out of school for a month 
or two. And a buddy of mine got me a great job working in the print shop that's owned by the same people that own Thrasher and Deluxe, which is like real Spitfire, Thunder, Crooked, all that stuff. And a company called Think Skateboards, which is no longer around, but it was part of the same brand. Well, the same umbrella of companies. And uh, it was a dream job. I got to oversee the printing of all the boards when they were still actually printing directly on them and the stickers and t-shirts and all that stuff. So it's something I had professional experience in, but a personal passion for. And like I said earlier, it was also kind of like grad school. The guys doing illustration for those companies at that time were some of the best in the world still. To this day, some of them are unrivaled. So I was really learning from the best. And as I started transitioned out of the print shop, they brought me over into the art department at Think. Uh, I worked there for a handful of years and that was literally the last full-time job I had. Through that, I kind of built up enough of a name for myself that I was getting half my opportunities in art galleries and museums and situations like that. And the other half my opportunities were like commercial illustrations and commercial drawing jobs, both in the skateboard industry and out. And I really liked that balance. You know, I, I went to the Art Institute, which is like the oldest or was the oldest art school in California and, and one of the only fine arts institutions where it's kind of like they preach art for art's sake. And so I, I like to do gallery and museum stuff, but I also really like to do commercial illustration. And I think a lot of that is my background in the skateboard industry. Like I just, that's, that's kind of how I got my whole start as an artist professionally. And part of the whole reason I moved out here. I mean, when I was 19, I was still skateboarding every day. And in the 90s, San Francisco was unquestionably the skateboard capital of the United of the world. Uh, not just because of the terrain and the hills, but like Thrasher's from here and independent deluxe and spitfire and like all these things that as a teenager on the East coast made this place seem just like, like a fantasy land for skateboarding. Everything was downhill. Um, so yeah, I just hit the perfect window, got this degree in something, had no idea what I was going to do with it. And the next thing you know, I was working in the skateboard industry and that led from one thing to the other and kind of how I got to where I am now. It's funny, you, you brought up Apple and these forward thinking companies. And I think the same could be said about skateboarding. Yeah, you know, and, and it's still true to this day. I mean, San Francisco is so sick when it comes to skateboarding. I mean, so many great brands and individuals who run brands in different. I mean, you look at girl and Lakai. I mean, those are all San Francisco guys, Mike Carroll. Uh, and, and those teams of guys, I just think like, again, another instance where like you had greatness in this city so it's just cool that you think of it that way yeah i think you know like i said it was the skateboard capital in the 90s it still is i mean like thrasher is the only fucking magazine getting printed and it's in the same spot that it's been for fucking 40 years like <laughs> it you know they'll always be the sport is will have ups and downs and you know different people affect it in different ways but i think it could be said that on any given year san francisco is still either the most important city in skateboarding or one of the, and I, you know, it's just a huge part of what drew me out here. I don't skateboard anymore on a regular basis, obviously. And like, I'm just proud to be able to contribute to something that played such a big role in my life when I was a young man. And I do think it's something that like slowly, I think the whole world is starting to realize there's this like connection to this city and that sport. And a lot of it is the fucking seven massive mountains that are jammed in this fucking city limits, you know? Was was skateboarding and, and um, that kind of was that where you were introduced to some of the musical artists that you work with? I saw that you did, um, I think, an album cover for Aesop Rock. 
Um, and was that through skate skating and that, that you got introduced to them or is that a different kind of an avenue? No, that's something I, I mean, uh, I was born in New York the same year as hip hop, more or less, you know, like, uh, three hours North. That's really the only music I've ever listened to. Like, uh, not to sound very narrow minded, but I don't really listen to a lot of other stuff. Uh, and so that was a huge part of coming here in the nineties. You know, there, there had been some things on the West, like too short and some things from the Bay area that we knew about on the East coast, but particularly that summer that I moved out here, hieroglyphics and the hobo junction had this big battle on the radio that was like super historic like the bay area sound and like underground hip-hop sound not just like hip-hop in general but like hieroglyphics dell uh hobo junction that guy Saphir. like there was just a lot of stuff that was like sort of getting recognized all over the world so much so that i knew about it on the east coast and like knew that the bay area and san francisco had this like underground hip-hop thing that was very unique LA did too like but the, it just that was really attractive to me in those years and also something I was proud to tell my friends like when I go back and be like yo I saw this dude or this show or whatever like it was it was even on the east coast like souls of mischief and hieroglyphics and Dell and all that shit was getting a lot of respect and so it was just one more facet of the bay area at that time when I moved here that was really attractive um but a lot of that has led me to work with guys like Aesop and uh, atmosphere and action Bronson. And I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of rappers because outside of art and skateboarding, it's one of my other, like something I've always kind of studied as just a fan. Did when you did that album cover for them, was it like, uh, what was the process like for that? Was it like a, Hey, you just get, you know, we're looking for you to just run wild and create something or were they kind of like giving you some like, Hey, we'd really like to see something like this or giving a couple ideas, something like this on the album. What was that like working with, uh, with, uh, Aesop? Uh, you know, I'll say with Aesop and all musicians that I've worked with specifically with Aesop, he and I became good friends. He moved here in 2007, he got married or 2006. And I was a huge fan. I'd seen him every time that he'd ever performed in the Bay Area. Like, I had followed his music from his first album on through until the one he put out a few weeks ago. And somebody let his wife know, or his wife knew my art, or some, but somehow his wife was like, yo, this one dude is like your biggest fan ever. And that's kind of how we got introduced. And uh, we just built a really, we had a lot in common. We had friends in common, like, we just built a really, he also didn't know anybody here, which helped. Uh, he had just moved out here and gotten married and like, didn't know any, like I showed him around the city, took him to dope places to eat. Like, you yeah, know, that free drinking like, pass. He doesn't drink, but oh, okay. uh, I took him everywhere and connected him to as many people as I could. And he had also grown up being into skateboarding, but with him, uh, it was cool because unlike usually musicians are like, here, listen to the music and make something. You know, that's yeah. the fun part about doing music is like you get to listen to it, think of what you'd imagine it looks like the way it sounds and draw something. With Aesop, it was different because I got to like sit in while he was working on the album and sort of understand what some of the songs were about and where he was at in his life when he wrote it. And I got to play kazoo. There's like a hidden track at the end of the album that I, I played kazoo on it. <laughs> and when he played it live, uh, I got to fucking blow kazoo at the Fillmore, you know, like he let me come out and play on stage and shit. So it was, it was more of a, it, it still is. I like talk to him all the time. It's more of a friendship than just like somebody I looked up to for one of those ones that, I, you know, like if when I first started going to see him play live, I was so 
into him and all the guys on his record label at that time. There's a record label out of New York called Def Jux. And I was just a big ass fan. And uh, if I had ever imagined that all these years later, he and I would still be this close and that his music was still affecting my artwork when I listened to it. And, you know, it's one of those relationships you never could have imagined. Yeah. I'll, I always feel like album art is crazy because I mean, art is timeless. Music is timeless. And it's just so awesome doing a, a cover like that thing is eternal, you know, like that. When people listen to that album years from now, there's always going to be the artwork that pops up with it. And they're so like intertwined. And uh, that's 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 just like a really cool thing to have and be a part of for sure. Are yeah. you uh, are you slapping a lot of hip hop when you're doing art? Like what's or, or are you kind of more into classical music or what's kind of the vibe there? Uh I listen to KCASM, uh, College of San Mateo Public Jazz Radio Station. has the largest uh, jazz archive in the United States. And it's just like a ill, I contribute to all their fundraisers. Like, I'm just a big fan of that radio station. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I just listen to hip hop almost strictly. It's one of those things that, you know, when you're trying to draw stuff and not be loose or messy, hip hop is really good to get your adrenaline going and kind of like, to why it fuels skateboarding it's just like one of those forms of music where it really it makes your blood course your adrenaline gets going and you just get a little sharper uh which for me in drawing it's good just to like maybe not when i'm sketching ideas but if i'm going to ink something and you got to not i mean you don't have a chance to fuck up it's a good way to get my adrenaline pumping at this age and just get really engaged and just like not fuck up what what other bay area artists do you uh kind of create to any nicotina any uh like you know other bay area artists that you that really inspire you to San create Quinn, messy marv i'm familiar with all of them but i will have to i'm old you know what i mean i have to go with the ones that hit me hardest when i first got here and that would definitely be dell who i heard of first obviously and then souls to mischief i've had a chance to meet a few of those dudes as i've gotten older uh my favorite rapper from the bay area ever is casual uh from the hieroglyphics i just think that's like the you know, he, he ran for public office in Oakland. Like, this motherfucker is like a, a chief. True OG. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of all Bay Area rappers just because it's a tough place to be a fucking rapper. It doesn't get a lot of attention. Like, it's hard to become an E-40. It's yeah. hard to become a Dell. It's hard to be like a Dan the Automator. Like, some of these dudes from the Bay Area that are really, like, globally recognized, uh, that's not an easy road. But I, I have to go with, like that 90s Oakland sound is kind of something I can still put on and listen to when I draw and just, you know, that's my thing. When I think of Dell, I always think of that Tony Hawk uh, soundtrack, the the video game. Dell was on there. That, that, it, that soundtrack was insane for the first Tony Hawk. Like it had a lot of the groups you're talking about all in there and you just be skating and Dell had that, uh, that you better brush your teeth uh, song. I forget the name of it, but like, I always think back about that one. Yeah, yeah. Do you mess around with cannabis or or anything that kind of like gets you more loose when you're doing art, or are, do you look for something that's a little bit more uh, organic? Uh, I mean, I, I used to smoke a ton of weed. I had a, a brain aneurysm in 2015 and had to have surgery, and uh, that led to epilepsy. And at that point, I had to quit smoking. Uh, I vaporize it daily and I'm able to eat edibles and stuff like that, but I don't I can't actually smoke anymore. I do a lot of work with uh, marijuana brands. Like I said, 
some of my earliest, uh, you know, like big time collectors were guys in tech and guys in weed because, you know, from the early 2000s till now, those are two of the fastest growing, biggest financed businesses in the Bay Area that, like I said, they also were run by crazy people who spent their money really responsibly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I am a fan of the, the cannabis movement in the Bay Area. As a matter of fact, in the 90s, I worked for Dennis Perone, skating up and down Market Street, uh, getting signatures to put it on the ballot to be voted on for medicinal use. Um, they paid 50 cents a signature, and I would literally just skate all over Civic Center Plaza and be like, excuse me, ma'am, or excuse me, sir, how do you feel about <laughs> medical marijuana use in the state of California? And like 95% of the people were like, fuck yeah, cool. And they'd sign this thing. And at the end of the day, I'd bring it back and they paid 50 cents a signature and they let you smoke a bunch of weed, but you couldn't leave with any because they were like being federally watched, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's something I've always contributed to. And I, I, I definitely, 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 definitely think that's a humongous part of the experience in San Francisco and the Bay Area in the last 25 years. I mean, you know, we're looking at a moment where like it's legal in New York. It's legal in a, in, a, in, a, in a large number of states in the United States. And we're, I'm sure, positive that within the next five to 10 years, it's nationally going to be legal. And much like so many motherfucking things, the Bay Area isn't going to get the credit it deserves. But, you know, this is the first state in the United States where it was medicinally legal and so on and so forth. Like the Bay Area, once again, had such a huge role to play in marijuana use in the United States. But yeah, definitely a fan a supporter and a, you know, a guy who was out there hitting the pavement, trying to get people to vote on it back when I was a kid. You brought up your uh, brain aneurysm. How did, did like something, how did you know that you had, I mean, obviously you go to the doctors, I'm sure did, did something happen? Like I was reading up on that and wanted to ask you, but I'm just curious, like how did that affect you and your, your ability to do art and, and so forth? Uh, I was in a restaurant and I just kind of nodded out and my wife at the time was just like, whoa, what the fuck? Um, went to the hospital. They did a bunch of brain scans and they're like, holy shit, you have a big ass lump in your head. We have to operate right away. Crazy. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's wild. That's yeah, man, going on a lot of, you know, as a firefighter, there's a lot of medical calls. And so we're going on those all the time, but you know, it's, those are big events for sure. So I'm pretty fortunate to be fair. I mean, that's the kind of thing they can figure out after you're dead. I yeah. was lucky that there was at least some sign to like check it out before it got too late. And uh, unfortunately the thing is really big and it moves a lot of stuff around in my brain uh, and has caused me to, I, I have epilepsy as a result of it and have to take a bunch of like really weird, like heavy brain medication. But overall, I think with stuff like that, it's real easy to sit there and be like, Oh, what the fuck? I think I'm I'm pretty lucky that I caught it at a time. I mean, it could have killed me. It could have made things really worse if they hadn't resolved it. So I'm fortunate I found it when I did, and I try not to bitch about it too much. When you did your first uh, piece of artwork after you recovered from it, was did that have like some pretty heavy meaning to you, just kind of feeling lucky to, to, to be alive and, and being able to do it? Uh, you know, it's funny, man. I'm like kind of an angry guy, you know, like I got, I'm half Italian and just easily pissed off. And you're talking to us, man. The, the, the doctors were like, yeah, you kind of, you kind of knock out. He can't really get pissed off. Like circulation gets going and blood starts pumping. Like you can burst this thing and die. So, you know, quit smoking weed. My dad died right at the same time. 
and they're like, don't get pissed off about anything ever again. <laughs> and wow. then, and then I got this incredible fucking opportunity right all at the same time. The San Francisco arts commission like hired me to do this project at city hall. Uh, it was city hall's hundredth birthday. And they wanted me to draw a hundred drawings in a hundred days about city hall. Oh and I was like, what? Like, I was like, okay, but I want an office. And they were like, you want an office? Like the people that work the city hall forever that you don't get an office. I was like, no, I don't need like a traditional office. I'll take like a, like a storage closet or like a, you know, I don't care. I just want somewhere where if I'm going to draw a hundred drawings, I want to be sitting in the building. In the spot. You know? Yeah. And I also want a book deal because, you know, no one goes to an art show and can remember a hundred drawings. It's just, it's an enormous amount of stuff for me to do. And they, they displayed them all in city hall. Like they, on the ground floor, they put all the drawings up for people to look so at. Sick. So it was like, you know, I had kind of gone through this traumatic thing. My dad died. And then I had to draw a drawing a day for a hundred days sitting at city hall. And it was just, I don't know. I just felt kind of lucky. You know what I mean? Like I didn't die. Got an office in city hall. Got an office in city hall. Yeah. Like I, I felt like the city was kind of reaching out to me to be like, hang in there, buddy. <laughs> like, we appreciate you. And uh, yeah, at the end of it, uh, Mayor Ed Lee gave me my own motherfucking day, like out of for that project, you know, specifically. And it was just one of those, like, I think sometimes in life, if you stay well intended and like, I don't know, put your best foot forward or whatever, I could have done a lot of shit after that and just like chilled out. My wife at the time was like, you might want to just like chill out, take some time off. Like I bought some like more comfortable furniture and shit like, I got a cat like so i just relax more often and not be so fucking stressed out and uh i think the city hall thing came just at the right moment to remind me like you just weren't designed to be like sitting around all the time you know like just get back to work and be glad nothing worse happened yeah that's that's uh you might you be got able to your call own it. fucking day you i mean that's so sick yeah and, i think and, it was only supposed I an think Italian only... that can't get mad, dude. You got to call the yeah, Guinness right? Book of World Records on that. They'll do a they'll do a piece on that for sure. But yeah, after the city hall thing, a lot of my art was like, I I did a show in Denver called Anger Management, and I like draw this stuff that was just kind of about like not being mad. I guess was kind of the theme. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, it's I'm still mad all the time. It's, that's impossible. They should have flicked some kind of switch in there if that's what they wanted me to do. Dude, one of the things that was um, that was that was amazing. Uh, I read about how you know you mentioned in North Beach a lot of pain felt by the businesses, uh, restaurants, bars, etc. And you auctioned off some some uh, artwork of yours that sold out pretty quick, and were donating you know money to different businesses and things like that. Um, you know that. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit on like what gave you the idea for that? Obviously an amazing thing, being able to give some support to folks who were really hit hard by the pandemic and, and the drop in global tourism. Yeah, I uh, I live like right in the middle of the neighborhood. You know, I live across the street from Washington Square Park next to Tony's Pizza. And it was just like, you know, like all these people that work in these bars and restaurants are kind of like my roommates. I live alone in a basement apartment with a cat, you know? And so like everybody that lives around here is kind of like, you know, not just my, some I see these people every day and just like all of a sudden everything just got shut the fuck off. They didn't know if they were going to go back to work or not. Like 
And I suddenly didn't have any, you know, walking around this neighborhood. It was like a ghost town. And I got really upset. And just because every there were all these go fund me this and go fund me that. And, you know, like, and it was getting real twisted. Like you were hearing lots of shady stories about like places putting up GoFundMe's and not giving anybody any money and just stuff that I don't know if it was happening or not, but I got really upset. And I was just like, I hit up the gallery I work with and I was like, yo, I'm going to make, I do editions of prints where it's a hundred prints. This is frequent. And the prints are a hundred dollars each. Usually if the gallery does all the sales and fulfillment, they take half. That's just how it works. Uh, the gallery was like, yo, fuck that. He's like, we won't take any money. My friend Ken Harmon that owns Hashimoto gallery. He was like, look, he's like, we'll auction or we'll sell them and we'll send them out and we'll pay all the shipping and whatever. And he's like, I'll just hand you the money. So we put them up. They sold in like a couple of minutes. We made 10 grand. And the next day he handed me a check. I went and cashed it and broke it down into stacks and just literally went bar to restaurant to bar to like texting my neighbors to come out of their house. And I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to hand people cash directly because they don't know when they're going back to work and all this go fund me shit. A, they're getting fucking taxed on it. B it's like on the, and I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it was like very successful, but also sad as fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, is weird for some of the time back there. It's just weird seeing a bunch of vacancy spots, like you said, in a spot that was like the pinnacle. Columbus, you know, yeah. it was like you could you could open up a shop selling nothing and be successful in North Beach and and great spots that you know are incredible, shutting down like hey we can't do it. Well, and straight up people bailing. You know what I mean? Like I had friends that, uh, you know, Itutokwa, that place that used to be on the corner of Broadway yeah. and Columbus forever. Mm -hmm. Those kids used to be my upstairs neighbors and they were like hella generous, super nice dudes. That was it. They were just like, we're not going to fucking, yeah, it was already not great around here. Things had gone. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, tourism had almost dried up, you know, like I mean, Europeans and Canadians who are the primary tourists in this area, they don't like to visit the United States when our politics are, you know, fucked up. And I noticed it when George W. got reelected and I noticed it really crazy during you know, the years that Trump was in office, it just fucking just disappeared. Yeah, you and I don't blame it, you, him. I wouldn't have wanted to come to this country either during that time. So things in North Beach were already crazy. A bunch of my favorite shit had already closed. And then you put this on top of it. So it was like things were already struggling. And then there was this pandemic, which everyone struggled. And I it just to watch so much shit close in a neighborhood that when I was younger, especially when I was in college, bro, there was a fucking gap had a store in North beach. Like it was like, you know, it was, it was thriving to say the least. Like, so I think to go from all those years to being my age and watching it in a real position where I felt like heartbroken and not just for the area. Cause that'll snap back, you know, a new generation of young people will come in and open. It's already happening, but it was the, it was actually the like legs under the table. It was all the people that run these places. And especially like, bartenders and servers that there was no end in sight those 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 restaurants and bars weren't paying those people while they were home like they didn't have any idea what was around the corner uh so it was motivated primarily by that you know it, it was cool seeing you know on a positive note the adaptations and the and the kind of like spirit of some places you know when the outdoor dining started popping up and they're building right there just trying to make stuff work and there were some positives with that and and hopefully now you know some of these businesses that weather that storm 
they're this just deeper, you know, in the, in the, in the spirit of kind of like the city and that, and that like surviving some of the rugged times. And so hopefully, you know, I mean, even though I don't see some of the, the changes leaving, you know, everyone always goes like when nine 11 happened, like, when are they going to get rid of the security checkpoints at the airport? Never, you yeah. know, um, when it comes to disease and stuff, when's testing and going away in mass, I don't know, maybe never because there's always going to be some, but seeing people survive and still do creative stuff and, and find a way that's inspiring for sure. Yeah. I just think, you know, it's, it, this was a terrible way to see so much good stuff in the city close, mm -hmm. but it's not just the pandemic. It's not just the last two years that without, without the life's blood of tourism, San Francisco you know, it's been crippled by it and I'm not bitching and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying it happened. This became, yeah. this city needs tourism for it to pulse like it does. And without it, things got tricky and then stick a pandemic on top of that. And again, the whole world's been affected by this shit. I'm just speaking locally. It, it really, 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 really clamped down on the real estate issues here. And to see so much stuff still boarded up and closed is sad. But, you know, I met this cool old dude in the hate who had had his store for decades and his shit was like, you know, if if this puts me out of business and I have to leave now, you know, some young version of me back in the day will come here and start the next wave of that type of business. And it's, you know, I've had a lot of older neighbors and older San Franciscans lay that same kind of same kind of vibe on me. Like, you know, there, there will be a next wave. It's just unfortunate what what closed a lot of this this most recent wave, and it uh, it's heartbreaking to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's funny you, you bring that up. So our family had a restaurant on Fisherman's Wharf uh, right there on uh, on Jefferson Pompey's Grotto. I grew up working. I remember crab, that spot. Yeah, I grew up working the crab stand. We both and, cracked crab over there. That's yeah. what's up. Yeah, we were yeah. we were clicking uh, click click click. You know, <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, <laughs> ate a so, lot of crab, drank a lot of soda. <laughs> so i mean you talk about the wharf i mean it's like bro it, there used to be so many people walking in the wharf i mean it, you know there was the bushman that guy made a million dollars scaring people he shared about the bushman back in the day i'm a big fan dude bro, i was talking was to a someone, big fan yeah he i mean it's just like you, you you can't like you can't even do the bushman anymore because you know san francisco is this like i think they tried to assume or something like oh yeah the bushman would get destroyed today it'd be like no this this is unacceptable and uh you know so we come up with a, with a virtual reality bushman experience <laughs> you can download on your phone or whatever yeah. <laughs> ridiculous hey when was the last time you guys went to the war um i was um I recently went to Scoma's because uh, I'm getting married in a couple months, actually at St. Peter and Paul Church. Uh, and then we're doing the congratulations. Thanks, bud. We're doing the uh, after party at the I'm a member of the Italian Athletic Club. Um, Dude, but, I'll sneak uh, you in there, Jeremy. I'll see you. You're, you're right by just I know those know. guys. We'll sneak yeah. you right through there, dude. Hey, Jeremy. So before we let you go, Dom, do you have any other like really important questions for Jeremy. I, we could fucking sit here all day long and talk to you, but. Any big projects on the horizon? Anything that's really exciting that, you know, you're looking to do or stuff you'd collabs you really would love to get involved in anything on the radar that you can speak of, of course, you know, disclosures aside. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a show coming up in New York in August that I'm going to work on all year that I'm really looking forward to. You know, to be honest, man, I'm just kind of enjoying this this moment in my life. It's uh, a good time to be living here. I have a great job. I feel really fortunate to be as steady as I am with it. This summer, I was able to do something for the Giants, which was really fun. And then I did a big thing for the 49ers when they opened the Levi's Stadium. And right before COVID, I did some, I did a sick-ass poster for the Warriors. And I'm not a sports fan at all. I'm not a hater. I just grew up skateboarding and didn't really play any other sports. So to be a guy who's from 3,000 miles away and have done something for the Giants, the 49ers, and the Warriors, but the Warriors thing got canceled because the game got canceled. It was a poster Damn. for a game that was like, I don't remember what it was, but it was like late March. You know what I mean? So obviously they were done having games. And I wrote to people the other day and I was like, yo, what are you going to do with that? And I, I you know, I'm, I normally won't bug somebody about it, but this thing is really dope. I was really proud of it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, unfortunately we discontinued that whole poster campaign. Like we'll keep it in mind, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa. So if there was anything like a dream project, I wish those dudes would fish that thing out of the garbage can and use it because it was dope. I was like, Mike. I don't even care. Like it was a fundraiser too. It's supposed to raise money for like some youth organization or whatever. Uh, add so add that, to, that to actually go down. Add that to Mike's list because Mike is uh, in deep with the Warriors and the oh, Italian gosh. Athletic Club. So we're going membership Italian Athletic Club and we're going to revive the Warriors poster. Those are ha- <laughs> one or both of those are going down for sure. I had lunch randomly. Uh, what's the assistant coach's name? Okay, Chris. Uh, there's an assistant coach for the Warriors that really, I had. Really lunch. tall, really tall, right? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, from I know here. Yeah, I know you're uh, talking about. I just happened to have lunch with him on his birthday in a restaurant where we were the only people there. Chris DeMarco? Said, yeah, 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 yeah. I know him well. He's an investor in one of my friend's restaurants, and we just happened to be there on the dude's birthday, which was really random. And embarrassingly, I didn't know who the fuck he was because I don't really follow, and he didn't know who the fuck I was. But we got along real good, and I, uh, my buddy put it in his ear, too, and was like, yo, tell him to use this fucking thing because it's dope. And, I mean, at this point, it exists. I just hate to see it go to waste. Mm-hmm. And I need to check off my Bay Area trifecta sports thing because, I don't know, for a guy that just wanted to draw skateboard graphics, it's super good to be able to draw for the fucking 49ers and the Giants and now maybe the Warriors. We've had some, some uh, you know, we had the CEO of Rakuten on here, which is a Bay company who sponsors yeah. the Warriors. Like. We, we really try to connect people from the podcast. So, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'll make it come true, but I'll certainly, you know, try my best to connect some dots for you. But um, before we let you go, speaking of things that we're proud of, we do a trivia round and the winner gets this bridge to bridge belt. Sick. <clears throat> yeah. Which, which, which I'll come uh, if you win this. I doubt you will because the questions are so hard. But uh, yeah, I'm not that smart, but I'll do my fucking best. Yeah, no, nah, the belt is sick. We're going to come get a pick with you with it anyways, just because it's hella Frisco and we just love San Francisco. But uh, I'll let Dom kind of take it from here and ask the questions. He's the guru. All right, here yeah. we go. So this is tough, but we did. I mean, I'll tell you what. Um, we've had a lot of people on the show and and kind of your portfolio, your your street cred in North Beach specifically is, you know, it's 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 enough for that. You're in, you're a native. So we tailored this and uh, it's going to get progressively more difficult and it's very hard. So we got four questions and, um, you know, these these accelerate. So we'll start off with an either or question. I need you to name one muni line that runs through North Beach or 
one infamous prisoner out of Alcatraz. One of those gets you to the next to the next round. Thirty Stockton and Al Capone. Done, dude. Yeah. Double. Okay, that that Wait, earns on, you but, a hint. That earns you a lifeline. Hold on. Before he goes to the next one, can you name the other lines that run through North Beach? No. All right. There's thirty. Oh, you need, there's only there's oh, only there's the thirty like Stockton, the, and there's everyone else. No, no, no. Union. Like I, you know, when I was in college, I took the bus to get over here, but that's the only bus I ever took. Forty five Union's the one that runs in front of my house. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't take the bus much. There's 45. There's a 30. There's the 39, which kind of runs around Koi Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 15 used to run through from the wharf all the way like uh, out to Bayview. Yeah, up to Bayview. Yeah. And there's a few more, but yeah, it's sick. Okay, so you're moving on. You got out of the first round, and now things are starting to get serious. All right. This brewery originally burned down in 1906 in the earthquakes. It's now on Potrero Hill and one of the last remaining breweries to produce California common beer. Anchor Steam. I'm an ambassador for the brand, goddammit. Boom. And the dude. original one, the original one was in Pack Heights. It was on Pacific. Oh, that's sick. You're cruising that. through, dude. You got through second round. Just You're so you not know. Very smart either. I got my fingers crossed. This doesn't get way harder. And the current belt holder is Gary Payton the second. So he 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 is the current uh, the champion right now, the bridge to bridge champ is Gary Payton the second. So you'd be dethroning an up and coming star for the Warriors, which kind of also checks a little bit of box action. So we want to do that. I would let him have it if they just use my artwork. <laughs> I don't think his season's riding on it, but um, okay. SF MoMA uh, has on display a mural from this artist, which was his last mural painted in the United States. Diego Rivera, and it's Damn. a tragedy. They took it out of a fucking city college wall and transported it to the MoMA so people could pay to look at it. Dear SF MoMA, that was whack. Yeah, the I remember I saw it at City College, and it was pretty. So uh, it was and I pretty... didn't have to pay any money to go in and look at it. Yeah, goofy as hell. You know, that thing could have been destroyed moving that across town. Shame on you, MoMA. Yep. <laughs> I'm no, serious. I... That's whack. I yeah. just love it. Diego's just... man. He had a giant mural at my school in a gallery called the Diego Rivera Gallery. And when you go to the SFAI, it's like a, you know, before you graduate, they let you have a show in there. And it's a big deal. My first art show ever. I hung next to Diego Rivera. It's a big, big deal. Yeah. Wait, wait, before fucking tear someone's mural out and move it. It's yeah. so weird. Yeah. yeah. It's whack. Dom, you should have you should have thought of a better fucking question, dude. What's wrong? Well, it's still you? a good question. It's a it, it was a bad act, it's but the great but, question. Most people probably wouldn't know that. Like, they wouldn't know that. They did not that was not a huge headline that they were tearing it out of City College. I didn't oh. I didn't even know that. But I have a one question before you go to the last question. Who did the mural at Coit Tower? It was a whole group of people. It was a WPA uh artist group. It's a bunch of people. I like that uh, one. Zach Heim is like the main dude. I can't remember his first name. I did a residency at Coit Tower in 2017 where there's an apartment inside there where a guy used to live, like a caretaker, up until the 90s, I heard. And it's like an apartment that goes like, you know, and so there's like cool. a kitchen. And now they use it as like an office for the employees. But I got this opportunity to use it as my studio for like a couple of months. And I, I created a bunch of prints and T-shirts that they could sell down in the gift shop just to kind of like get people to go there because it's not, you know, it wasn't doing great. Um, but yeah, it was fucking murals in there are so crazy. And there's some murals that aren't open to the public anymore because people were vandalizing them. 
like up near the apartment, there's this crazy mural that you can only see if you go on the tours. So to anybody watching this, that's a big fan of like San Francisco public mural art, especially from the thirties, uh, take the Coit Tower tour because you get to see a bunch of art that's not on public display. And another sick thing to know about Coit Tower is that the statue that's up there of Christopher Columbus was not supposed to be put up there. It was supposed to be in Washington Square Park. In Washington Square Park, there's a group of firemen, and that was supposed to be put up at Coit Tower because Coit Tower is a giant fire hose. Yeah, it's a, a giant, and and just a dedication. Isn't, isn't that right? Coincidental. It's not. It, it's not supposed to look like a fire hose. It's a myth. It oh. does, but it's not. The design was different. It was. It was just supposed by, to be a uh, monument. Yeah. Yeah. It was designed by Albert Brown, the same dude that did City Hall and the Art Institute and the Ferry Building. Uh, it's supposed to just it, they cut the they cut the budget, and so the plans changed, and it doesn't look like what was originally designed. But it, the the likeness to a fire hose is purely coincidental, and I don't say that to be offensive to the firefighters at all. <laughs> None taken. Uh, I know the historian, this guy Rory O'Connor, who gives the tours at Coit Tower, and that's like straight from his mouth. So wait, what I just said is complete bullshit. It's a myth. Okay. It it's not designed to look like a fire hose. It is a tribute to Lily Coit, who was way down with the firefighters and may or may not be a tribute to the firefighters as well. But people always say that it's like a, uh, there's a guy that does walking tours in this neighborhood that always says it kind of dirty. Cause like they, they say Lily had a thing for the firefighters and he always tries to turn it into a phallic sy symbol and like all this shit that is definitely not true. And I, I'm not saying that like I made it up. I got it from the guy who wrote a book about Coy Tower. So don't beat me up. Don't make the firefighters mad with that one. But no, no, that's cold. It looks like that because the budget from what it was supposed to look like got cut. Coy Tower, they didn't want that up there. That was like an artist community on Telegraph Hill. And like all those people protested it when they went to build it. And this one lady, I don't remember her name, but she owned a cafe for artists up there. She shot at it and got arrested for like putting bullet holes while they were building it. So sick. Damn. I'm so glad it's there because I think it's such a cool piece of San Francisco. I think yeah. it's dope, but you know, all the like those kind of landmarks, it's like a generational thing. You know, like I heard when they built the Transamerica Pyramid in the 70s, people hated it. It stood for Alioto and like all these people protested it and didn't want it. But then that became the kind of thing that by a generation after is like people get tattoos of that shit. Right. Sutro, Sutro, I heard the same thing. Like people protested that and didn't want it there. And Coit Tower, I've heard the same. So, you know, there's this weird tradition of these things getting built and being hated on by the people that were alive when, you know, but the generation after use it Loves as it. a symbol of the city. And yeah, it's interesting how like maybe the 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 landmark kind of represents the future. Mm -hmm. And you like, you know, you're like as an older resident, you're like, nah, nah, fuck those guys. Like, like how people now hate on the fucking salesforce building right like art you know like people who live here now nah, fuck that big deal whatever they call it you know <laughs> yeah but it's like i bet you anything in another 10 years motherfuckers are gonna have tattoos of the salesforce building, <laughs> and, and old people like us are gonna be like you stupid fuck that thing's a dildo yeah the building that defied uh you know gravity and and, and yeah, they'll, tilting, they'll, add, some, whatever they'll add a new myth hate, to it or something hating the landmark that came up while you were here you know because it reminds you that you're getting surpassed by the younger generation maybe for sure that's the final question yeah dude so you're at the final question and this is made very difficult but um let's let's give it a shot this is a restaurant in north beach 
and that's all you get. No, I'm just joking. We got more. We got more than that. Um, okay, a restaurant in North Beach. Name share it shares the name with a former bar on Columbus, which was a very old school neighborhood bar, old school Italian bar. Now a restaurant owned by SF legend Frankie Balistrieri, and and you do get a hint because you got the Muni and the Alcatraz. So the hint is it's a seafood restaurant and name was formerly a bar on Columbus. Portofino. Boom. New champion. Gary Payton, the second young glove is D. He is the man and his brother Vince and I are all good friends. And it is named after his father's social club, which was unfortunately raided at some point in the nineties. Yep. Several gentlemen were wrongly put in, in fucking cuffs. Uh, yeah, Portofino is the spot. As a matter of fact, I was just celebrating the success of Frankie this afternoon. He is the fucking greatest neighbor and a, and a real symbol of this neighborhood. And almost like I see Frankie. Frankie's kind of like the logo of North Beach, you know, like if yeah. the, like Mickey Mouse is to Disneyland is Frankie to fucking North Beach, I feel like. Right. You, you know that mural um, on the building on uh, Broadway Street in Columbus? He he's on the side of that. He's one of the fishermen next to the boat with the cigarette in his mouth. Shut the fuck up. Really? Yeah. Like they have him. all the light up books hanging. Yep. That's that's him, dude. So I gotta we, look at that more carefully. I didn't know that. Dude, we spent dude. we spent a lot of time baby. We were babysat in Portofino. Our our dad Gino, uh, you may have met him in North Beach. Gino, he's like a fixture in North Beach. But um, we we spent a lot of time in Portofino, uh, just kind of like playing with blocks or uh, playing Pedro stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, all the guys I've met from that whole neck of the woods uh, are all really super, super good to me. And, like, I lived over here a really long time before I got to – Frankie I met and Mario I met right when I moved over here. But a lot of those other dudes and a lot of the scene at Gino and Carlos, I've gotten to know a little bit older. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure I've seen your dad around. I'm sure I would recognize him and probably vice versa. 100%. Just, dude, I've lived here and, and worked from here and worked out of my apartment or a studio near here for the better part of the last two decades. He he's a he was he was a garbage man for thirty you know he fits the North Beach bill garbage man for thirty years teamster you know you know the deal. What's so funny? I recognize this guy for sure. Yeah, we we grew up going we we grew up going to Porto and Pedicle, the town that he's from in Sicily, and the town square it's gossip central. That's one of the favorite pastimes is gossip, and that's one of the things that's still interesting in North Beach. You go to cafe greco or some and they're always they're talking you know if you overhear a conversation they're always do you hear what happened to so and so i can't believe this guy he, he's he's out for light you know they they love the controversy like italians love controversy as you know and, and that's still alive and well in north beach definitely at, at sitting around some tables you can always get a whiff of that i often imagine you know like the unfortunate thing for me living here honestly is my my days are numbered i think like my family's from 3000 miles from here, you know, like I don't, I don't make a lot of money at this job. And like, I often joke with people that this job never made me rich, but it gave me a slice of San Francisco you couldn't pay for. Like I've had a very rich life here, but I think unfortunately I, I, I can't imagine I'm going to be able to afford to grow old in this neighborhood. My landlord and his family are wicked good to me, but that doesn't mean you get to retire off it. But yeah. I often joke that if I do grow old and die here, I, I will definitely take the seats of the old grumpy Italians that sat there before me and maintain their tradition of like 
eating crusty pastries and drinking grumpy espressos and like talking bullshit about people because it's something even from the time I was in college, long before I ever visited Italy, it just, I don't know, it's a very romantic part of this neighborhood. It's something that just, I don't know, as I'm getting older and I'm watching a lot of those old timers age out, some who I know and some who I didn't. Uh, a lot of the cops that I was good friends with that are retiring now and like, you know, it's getting to a point where I can see my age and I'm like, oh fuck, like I'm not too far off from being the oldest guy in this cafe or being the oldest guy in this bar, you know? You're good, man. And, You're so uh, good. I would say that if I had one San Francisco wish, I take back the Warriors thing, is that somehow I'm able to be able to afford to grow old and die here because I don't want to move out of here. I want to leave North Beach through the chimney of the Green Street Mortuary. You know what I mean? <laughs> So if any of these guys got an apartment in the back corner or they got a cottage in their backyard, they want to sell me or whatever, I'm down for this place. You know, like I, uh, I go, I do an awful lot to make this neighborhood celebrated by people all over the world. And it's, uh, it's my home and somewhere I, you know, like I said, my people are from 3000 miles away. I work really hard for guys like you to be like, Hey, we like that. You like this neighborhood, like 20 years of effort trying to celebrate this place. And, Right now is the time where we need everybody else's help to celebrate it, you know? For sure, for sure. Dude, that was so sick. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for fucking coming on. I feel like you're fucking with me a little bit on those trivia questions. I got all of them. And the last one, I feel like you knew I knew that guy. Hey, where's the best place to get your artwork for those that are interested in getting prints and all that stuff? What's the best outlet? I have a clothing store on up on uh, Fillmore that's been there for 22 years called Upper Playground that I'm like part owner of. You can buy my T-shirts and things like that there. Uh, prints are available from a place called the Hate Street Art Center on Hate between uh, Laguna and Buchanan. And I have a big statue, a big bronze statue on Hate right out in front of it. And then uh, original artwork and like paintings and drawings are available from this place called the Hashimoto Gallery which is on Sutter uh, and like Tender Knob, more or less. And your um, website, so yeah. right? What's up? Your website? I don't really sell stuff like that directly. I kind of like, I like to work with entities that help me and I, I really don't like to pack and ship stuff. So uh, yeah, original art from Hashimoto, prints from the Hate Street Art Center and t-shirts, sweatshirts and shit like that from Upper Playground. But I do have prints available at the Coit Tower gift shop just because I like to have stuff where you got to hike up to get it. Very cool, man. Um, we'll definitely check those out and dude, can't thank you enough. Uh, you obviously, you know, have altered the, the culture and history of San Francisco for the better. So for that and for what our show is about, thank you for that. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, fellas, that's a cool thing to say, Dom. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, you don't get to pick where you're born. It's like, you know, it's been a long, long struggle for me to be here. So whenever dudes that are born and raised here acknowledge the effort I'm making, it means a lot. Feels good. Thanks a lot. Jay Fish, thanks so much for joining, man. Appreciate Have it. Good night, fellas. All right, man. Thanks, thanks boss. Awesome.